When everyone is on the same page, getting things done is easy. Make a bigger impact at work with Grammarly. Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that enables your team to make their point and move faster. You can even save time by going from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds. Join the 96% of Grammarly users that say it helps them craft more impactful writing. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said. Done. This is Matt Leiner and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap, claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 307, coming to you on Tuesday, April 2nd. We're going to talk about USC going into the final two weeks of spring camp, along with some news about Lynn Swan and so much more here on this episode. As always, you can follow us on Twitter, Reign of Troy. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Tunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our email address is reignoftroyatfanside.com. You can send us questions, advertising inquiries, or what have you. Our phone number, 213-373-1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We have gotten through April Fool's Day. Well, technically, it's still April Fool's Day while we're recording this. It's like... 10 p.m. on April Fool's Day, and I think I made it through without falling for anything. I fell for one small little thing that's really, really irrelevant, and I fell for it for about 30 seconds, so... What was that? Uh, it was a, a video game that I love, Fallout. <laughs> Again, this is really small. They said that you could hang lights from the power lines that you set up in your settlement, and that was going to blow my mind, except it wasn't true. Like I said, very, very small and very, very irrelevant. And you know what? That's a good April Fool's joke. Like the thing that's just believable enough that still kind of blows your mind. You know what the problem with like April Fool's is, Michael? People are either, people either do really, really dumb. They try to pull off really dumb things or they're all just super transparent. Well, that's why we did not do an April Fool's Day joke uh, with Random Troy this year because... We did one last year. We did one two years before that. If you, I feel like if you're going to do one, you have to do it perfectly because yeah. people know you're going to do something. Exactly. So, so it, it needs to be clever. It needs to be subtle. That was like you know a few years ago when we said, "Oh, SC is scheduled an FCS team." Like that was something no one would have thought of, right? Like, but just believable enough to to catch you. Ju- just believable enough. But it wasn't like screaming, this is an April Fool's Day joke. It wasn't us putting out there, Clay Helton has been fired and SC's in talks to get Urban Meyer. Like, that obviously would have been dumb. Yeah. And and the one last year, I mean, the two, two classes, you got to either have one that's just believable enough to actually catch somebody, or you got to do something that's just flat out enjoyable for what it is, which is what I think we did last year with Ryan Abraham and the Peristyle podcast, and what I tip my cap to the LA Times today for their basically, you know, tongue-in-cheek takedown of the New York Times, which was which was very, very transparent as far as you knew it wasn't an April Fool's joke, 
but it was so well executed. It was enjoyable in and of itself. So, yeah. Was it the LA Times version of the Counter March? Yeah. Uh, you know what? That's exactly what it was. It was the it was the LA. I'm going to call it the LA Times Counter March, and it was gorgeous. It was beautiful. It made April Fool. It made what had mostly been a tiresome April Fool's Day uh, worth it. But yeah, I, uh, April Fool's is just so. I'm bored by most of what I see. On it's April so Fools. bad. Like so, I see people just like putting things that are supposed to be ironic. Um, I hope I'm using that correctly to our pal Richard. Probably not. C- calling me on, on my use of the word ironic, but trying to be ironic, like that is not an April Fool's Day joke. Like, no. If you're go- if you're going to go all in on it, you you got to be clever. Yeah, you got you got to be clever. You got to be just believable and whatnot. So, um, with that, uh, this is our final episode. Uh, we're <laughs> never gonna. Do, uh, no, okay, never mind. You mean we're we're, we're not renaming the show Reign of Alicia and no. uh, and going no. all in on on just me? No, I I did put that in our Patreon Slack and got called on it immediately as expected because it was stupid. So yeah, really dumb. By yeah, the way, got to be more clever. You can listen to our Patreon episodes, patreon.com slash randomfdraw. You can subscribe and get all of our bonus content over at Patreon for as little as five fifty-five a month, including all of Alicia's practice car casts that react to every single practice USC has during the spring and gives her take about 20 minutes or so going into detail on what happened or sometimes 40 minutes because you get into a bit of a rant. Yeah, I was going to say 20 minutes is the aim. I've gotten over 30 on probably 90% of them so far this spring camp. The one that was under 20 was because I was in a complete and utter rush to get done. So, uh, yeah, that's a I, I have a tendency to ramble. It's it's my brand. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, but also over on Patreon. If you're into Rod on God, that's where Rod on God is going to be. Game of Thrones comes back in two weeks. Two weeks. We are now in April. Two weeks away. That's when Game of Thrones comes back on April 13th, which means Rod on God will be back on April 14th. You can find it on Patreon, patreon.com slash of Troy. So if you don't like Game of Thrones, you don't want to hear us talk about Game of Thrones, you don't have to. Because it'll be on Patreon, and you don't have to be a Patreon subscriber. But if you like it, that's where you can go and find it. Also, we're going to be doing some Rotbots choices along with a Takes With Jake episode. We missed one for the month of March. So many things going down. Uh, Jake was in Ohio at one point. We had some other schedule snafus. So trying to get that uh, scheduled for you guys as well. We had a lot to talk about, about SC and UCLA, including... Oh, here's an April Fool's joke. Their pursuit of uh, Calipari. Yeah, it didn't didn't go super well, did it? No, there was a punchline in that one. And that's S- that he's staying in Kentucky. Yeah, just a little bit. But, anyways, uh, let's get into this episode and talk about Lynn Swan coming up next. So we have to talk about Lynn Swan. This is something that I've not been interested in talking about on the podcast for the longest time because I think it's something to do about nothing. But finally, uh, there is some context here that I think is worth noting. We're talking about Lynn Swan and his trip to an autograph show over the weekend. Why is it important? Because as was written on the LA Times by Patrick Ruby, 
Trustees and senior leaders from USC were discussing university governance issues at a retreat in nearby Santa Barbara. Lin Swan was apparently invited to attend, um, and then he was allowed not to be there, according to a spokesman uh, who said that he had discussed not attending with President-elect Carol Folt. Uh, but he's at uh, an autograph show over the weekend, um, getting $250 per autograph uh, of his of his of footballs and stuff because obviously he is a coveted football star. He was a Hall of Famer with the Pittsburgh Steelers and with the USC Trojans in the College Football Hall of Fame. And it, it's something that, you know, people are not happy with. I think that the tie-in to the weekend in which USC had something going on that he could have been at is the context that makes it worth our while to discuss here. Yeah, totally. Um, I think, like you said, there are some things that are just low-hanging fruit that people like to latch on to with people in power who they don't like. Um, you see it with every president gets criticized for the vacations that they go on, for the money that they spend with their personal lives and their wives. Um, Lynn Swan is disliked for a lot of reasons in his position as the athletic director. So it's low-hanging fruit when he's at Augusta and playing golf instead of fixing USC's athletic department or whatever. Um, so, like, that that just happens. The memorabilia stuff, um, I think, is was potentially another one of those situations where it's like, well, so what? He's doing memorabilia. That's fine. He's basically meet, meeting and greeting and making a ton of money while doing it. The, the- if, if you hire someone who is a Hall of Fame football player, like, what do you expect? Like, SC signed up for this. So this is why, in general, these kind of things I do not care about. Right. I, but that's- if you do not want your athletic director to be spending his weekends charging 250 bucks for a signature on a football, then don't hire a Hall of Famer. Right. It's but, not that difficult. But the people who hired Lynn Swan are not in charge anymore. And the fans certainly... I don't know if I mean I I know I I I'm not trying to do revisionist history, but I don't remember the reaction to Lin Swan being super like gung ho as far as the fan base about like this is a great idea USC, um, but like but I think it, you know you you brush aside all of those little surface level things and you get down to this fact that the problem here is a question of Lin Swan's devotion to his job to being the best at his job that he can possibly be. Um, How committed is he to being the athletic director at USC? And the idea that they had a a retreat with the leadership of the university and the leader of the athletic department wasn't there, even though in the the article they talk about how a spokesperson said he wasn't required to attend, that there was, uh, you know, quote, nothing critical on the agenda related to him. Like, even if even if that's true, He's still one of the leaders of the university. He's still one of the most visible people in the admin- in in the administration of this university. For him not to be at this retreat, I think just sends a it just sends a bad message. Like I I don't care about him going to golf. I don't care about him doing things in his personal life. But I do question his commitment to the job that he's supposed to be doing and this is probably the the best 
sort of argument in, in in favor of those doubts that I have about Lynn Swan's ability to be a great athletic director. Yeah, it certainly does not do him any favors to have, you know, this thing pop up. Um, I, I do want to give him some one of a bit of a better than the doubt. Uh, the article by the LA Times, uh, Patrick Ruby, who wrote the article in the article, it says that, you know, he had not signed autographs at an autograph show in five years. Um, and this one was scheduled far in advance and Kara Fultz was just named president elect a couple of weeks ago. So I can, I can understand, like I can, I can see how that happens, but it goes back to the optics of the thing. It's, it's, it's kind of like, um, Olivia Jade being on the boats on, you know, Caruso's boats in the Caribbean, right? For for spring break. Like, yeah, I totally understand how that happens. I get it. I, I, I understand how, how something like this comes to be. The optics can also be bad at the same time. Like those things are not mutually exclusive. And the difference for USC. is, and the difference is, USC couldn't control the bad optics of Olivia Jade being on that yacht. The problem I have here is that Lynn Swan. Well, uh, did, they could have not taken a bribe. Uh, Rick Caruso couldn't control the optics of of his daughter happening to be friends with Olivia fair. Jade. All that kind of stuff. O- okay, no, fair. but Lynn Swan does control the optics here. And Lin Swan chose, I mean, I know this was a prior engagement, I accept that, but Lin Swan chose to either not be aware of what the optics of this would be, or to thumb his nose at the optics. Either one is a red flag. Yeah, that, um, that interpretation is right there for the taking uh, when this when this thing goes to be. By the way, I just looked it up, the social re- uh, media reaction to the Lin Swan hiring from, from a couple years ago, three years ago now. Literally three years ago, it's, it feels like it, it feels like just yesterday. Um, interesting tweets like Ryan Abraham saying, "Has USC made a big hire recently that didn't make you say, wow, that's interesting'?" <laughs> oh, or that's Mike Pialucci saying, it, "It would be unfair to predict how Lin Swan will do based on precedent, but he just got hired based on the same thing the men before him did." Yeah, yeah, there was there was definitely skepticism. Or here's me, the University of Southern California. Only Trojans may apply. Pretty much, pretty much. But uh, I, I thought also just I wanted to highlight before we move on in the article, they talked to Ricky Ellison, uh, obviously a former USC linebacker who is a very vocal critic of a lot of the things that USC has done in recent times. So sort of take that for what it's worth. But I thought he kind of hit the nail on the head um, in saying that he said, quote, I couldn't believe it. Um, Lynn's a good guy, but it's isn't his salary in the millions. Why does he need to do this? It's just embarrassing. Like, yeah, you can't. I can't imagine Lin Swan needs the money here. I I get the feeling that if you're Lin Swan, you take the opportunity to sort of like ham it up with fans. So the the adoration may be probably a big part of it too. But you still gotta look at it and like realize like you the the, the cost of pulling out of this event to go to a maybe a boring retreat with a bunch of other you know administrators or whatever. Sure, that would be there would be a cost there to him personally, but it's it's better than just continuing this to feed this narrative that he's incompetent. Yeah, yeah, like I I agree. Like I don't think there was any way Swan personally could have won this thing, because yeah, if he breaks off his contract with the, you know, autograph show, he's probably going to be out some money, has to pay a buyout fee or whatever that is. Um, so that's a loss, but he wins in the court of public opinion, right? But then again, you can make the argument, is there anything that he can do short of firing 
Clay Helton that's going to make anyone happy on, on Twitter. I feel like even if he fired Clay Helton tomorrow, people would be like, yeah, but he wasted four months <laughs> and like there's literally nothing he can do right now. The like, worst timing Lin Swan could have picked. No, but but like I was I was about to say like he wouldn't get credit because we wouldn't have a headline from the L.A. Times talking about him. But then I thought like, no, if he if again, if anyone at USC was savvy, what they would have done is they would have had him cancel the event and then leaked to someone in the media or, or he canceled got, it. got the right. positive spin that like, oh, Lynn Swan cancels appearance at this memorabilia show in order to go to a USC administrator's or, or trustee's retreat. Well, it would have done one of two things. It would have either shown his ability to change on the fly or it would have looked really good for Carol Folt, right? Yeah. Because she would have she would have looked like, well, she's coming in and people are... Taking notice. She is demanding people's respect. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, in that sense, I think, again, it, it could have been a good optics situation for, for USC. It's just that USC, it's a tendency, people at USC ten, have a tendency to turn this in, you know, turn things into the, the worst possible optics that they could end up with in a scenario. Yeah. Uh, I, I found a, a tweet that I had written about Lin Swan the day that he was, it was announced that he was hired. April 13th, 2016, I said, what's unfortunate for Lin Swan, who by all accounts is qualified, with little asterisks, is qualified to be an AD somewhere, this kind of insular hire does him no favors. Um, yep. It, it is interesting, because we can sit here and say that he was not qualified to be USC's athletic director, but... I like hmm. was he qualified in general to be an AD? I I said he was three years ago, and I think that's based on you know his position in the Bush administration, uh, his position, his you know trying to to run for governor and all those kind of things. Him trying to be the leader of of or having some sort of you know executive experience in some sense. Um, because when you look at ADs around the country, I mean the CEO of like Domino's was the AD or the was it the president or the AD or, or something of Michigan at one point? Like, that's what happens. Like, you, you see these these executive hires that maybe have executive leadership, if not sports leadership. So I could see some small school giving him a first ch- chance and it making sense. If I'm a small school but it, in... But at in, USC, it, it doesn't. If I'm a small school in Pennsylvania, yeah, sure. I take that yeah. chance. But yeah. again, this is USC. USC did this. Your Shippensburg or something like that. Yeah. Well, I don't. I don't. I don't know universities in in Pennsylvania to be honest. But but uh, you know, this is something USC did with Clay Helton too. Like USC is skipping the steps that are required in order to hire people who are underqualified for USC. Like Clay Helton right. could have certainly warranted a, a a head coaching position at like a Western Kentucky. But sure. USC yeah. skipped the boat on that and 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 put him elevated him into a position that he hadn't quite earned in that sense. And Lin Swan is the same thing, and Mike Garrett the same thing, and Pat Hayden the same thing. You, you got to start somewhere, and um, if it's at the top um, in a position of leadership like this, it makes it really really difficult to succeed. Uh, you you got to work your way up there. Uh, case in point, Kyle Dubas. For the three people who get that reference. But anyways, uh, moving on, let's talk about other news. USC completed week three of spring camp. We're going to talk about that a little bit going forward. But any injuries and news to updates to uh, to discuss? Well, Talano Hafanga is, is out for spring camp. 
Um, but you know, it's it's hard to. There hasn't been a lot of news news in terms of uh, the things from spring camp, in part because Clay Helton is only speaking once a week, and he didn't give an injury update uh, on Saturday, so that's uh, a missed opportunity. Um, How has it been the 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 one week press conference? How are you digging it? For injury updates, it's a, it's a struggle. So, so here's the problem. The problem is we used to get multiple days of everyone getting in their questions. And so then you could take a question to ask about, well, who's, you know, what's the injury status for this person or that person or whatever. But because it's only once a, once a week now, everything, you know, the, the I guess the, the jostling to get a question in is a lot more because you just, you've, you've cut that time off. Um, so I feel like there's been a lot less, you know, straight up answers from Helton because so many of the questions are big picture, you know, uh, macro kind of stuff. So you lose a little of the micro details that you could get because, you know, it's a Thursday and everyone's already asked their questions and you can jump in with a, well, what about this minute detail kind of thing? Um, but I don't know, but the, you know, the, 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 the plus side is, is I think it, it's, putting more emphasis on the offensive and defensive coordinators on Tuesday and Thursday as a result, which I mean, and this is, this is again, getting back to the Lynn Swan thing. Like I said, at the start of camp, I thought it was a good idea to take Clayton out of the limelight, uh, out of the spotlight because he couldn't help himself by speaking three times a week. And that was someone at USC understanding the idea of optics and pulling Clayton away from the optics. Um, and so while I knew it would affect you know the the media's ability to cover the team in a, in a way like it sucks to not be able to have that that as much access. I think it was the right move for Helton. Yeah, there's there's pros and cons. Absolutely, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when we get to fall camp and what happens when we get to game week. Um, is that going to change? I don't know. We have to keep an eye on it um, and let you know when that goes down. Because um, in the spring, you can kind of do anything. You, you can do anything. This is the the time in which most of the coverage is always going to be positive because there aren't any games to lose. There aren't any things to be overly upset about. And I know SC fans are still upset about last season and all that kind of stuff. But in a day to day sense, uh, at spring ball, spring camp, there really isn't. Um, let's talk about basketball really quick before we get to talking about spring camp after the break. Um, SC gets a transfer from Columbia. Quentin Adlish, I hope I'm getting that right, uh, six foot, 190 pound guard, and he's a three point shooter. Yeah, big volume three point guy. Uh, he led Columbia in three point shooting uh, over the past couple of seasons. He averaged 13 points a game uh, this past season, but the the season before he was a, a, a game by game a game by game starter only averaging 11 points so he improved his scoring average but but started about half the games for Columbia this past season so it sort of makes sense why he's he's transferring out but basically he's he's going to come in and and be a, a three-point shooter for USC they they lose Shaq Aaron they lose Benny Boatwright both to graduation looks like Kevin Porter Jr is probably going to go to the NBA so those are you know three solid three-point shooters for USC and and bringing in a guy like Quentin Adlesh who um, was one of the more you know coveted grad transfer options out there in the in the in the basketball track transfer market. Uh, it's a, it's a pretty good pickup for USC. Although you know it's 
this this coming season is going to be really interesting because USC has a top five recruiting class already coming in that that, that they're bringing in six players in that class. You add a, a, another guy here and the lineup is going to look quite different, I think, uh, potentially look quite different. Uh, from what USC was working with this past season. But then you you realize, like, Quentin Adlish may just essentially be a replacement scholarship-wise for Jordan Usher, who transferred. So, you know, things even out. Yeah. It's SC basketball. Um, it, It's all shrug to me. I I, I, I want to believe. I, I, I really do. I, I just... We'll, we'll, we'll see it when we get there. I am preparing myself for a very disappointing... I, I, I have let myself get uh, caught up in the excitement of some of the recruiting classes and some of the, oh, look at all the talent on that team the last couple of years. I am not... I am not planning to let myself get swept up by any any optimism for, the, <laughs> for this team in this coming year, despite that top recruiting class. Because Mystic Alicia is out in full force. You can only be disappointed so often before you just say, okay, fine. Yeah, that that uh, that, that is true. Uh, but anyways, let's take a quick break and we'll come back to talk about spring camp. Standouts and observations next. All right, Alicia, SC has done nine of the 15 spring practices. Practice numero 10 will be ahora y tiene cinco after that, including Saturday. <laughs> Are we, is, that uh, a, is that a, a part of our April Fool's? Is it, we're going to a Spanish sure. language? Sí, pero, pero no, no habla mucho inglés, eh, español porque, porque mi español es... It's better than mine. Hey, I took Spanish 3 at USC, so it should be good. <laughs> so, so did I. <laughs> All I can remember about Spanish 3 is my, my uh, instructor, professor, whatever you want to call um, the person leading the class, went on a long rant one time when they learned what Lane Kiffin's uh, contract was. That was fun. Oh, in Spanish? Yeah. Yeah, nice. Keep you engaged. Not happy. Not, not happy. No, I can't imagine a Spanish she, instructor. She was not pleased. Yeah. Not pleased. Uh, the disparity between checks? Yeah. Lane Kiffin's contract and the endowment of the Spanish program. Yeah. <laughs> just a little bit different. Um, but anyways, uh, let's talk about spring camp and the things that you have been learning at spring camp. You've been at every practice, every one of the nine. Saturday is a big day for USC. It's the spring showcase. Don't call it a spring game because it's not a spring game, but it will be on the Pac-12 Network's. You can watch that on TV if you're one of the people who have it. If you're not, trust me, you'll tweet about us and complain about it. Um, we'll we'll hear from you. But you can you can go and watch the thing too at, at Cromwell Field on Saturday. So this is a perfect opportunity to tell people well, what what should they expect uh, this week that you've been noticing all spring. Yeah, so uh, I guess one of the big storylines that came out of uh, this past week was. Which I guess isn't isn't new, but sort of clarified that the idea of the quarterback battle really being the four the four quarterbacks who are there. Uh, Clay Helton talked about how they have had an emphasis on giving all four quarterbacks, including Keaton Slovis, equal reps and equal play calls. Um, so we've seen them cycle through the four of them with you know two getting first team reps more or less. And two getting second team reps more or less, and uh, it, you know the first couple of weeks of practice. I guess the week two it changed a little bit because Keaton Slovis was injured, and there was just sort of a question of how long 
it would continue to have all four of them on equal footing. And Helton said that, you know, they're looking at all four guys, that that this quarterback competition is a chance to look at all four and to give them all an equal shot. So at least in the in the noises that USC is making, there are equal shots in this quarterback competition. I'm at the point where last year Clay Helton did that thing where he said, you know, spring is all about just education and then the competition will be in the fall. I feel like they're doing that without actually saying it this year. Because what they're doing the spring camp is not a competition. It's it's just development, I guess, of all four for the sake of developing. But them. do you think it's successful in that sense? Like, do, do you think they're getting something out of it, or are they wasting their time doing it? I'm I'm I have a split mind on this. On the one hand, I think, well, they're obviously getting something out of it because Keaton Slovis is a much better quarterback than I think anyone expected him to be. And he's much more effective in this offense than anyone expected to be. And he looks like he fits right into that group of players and looks like he deserves the reps that he's getting. He's not wasting those reps. On the other hand, if Keaton Slovis doesn't redshirt this year, then something has gone very, 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 very wrong. And it speaks to the lack of development that's happened with other quarterbacks on this roster. And it speaks to uh, just... Something in general that that you'd say like that that shouldn't be happening that 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 the that the early enrollee from Arizona three star quarterback comes in and wins your starting job, um, and if if I look at it from that perspective that Keaton Slovis shouldn't really have a shot at this job, then it does feel like a little bit of a waste of time to be taking reps away essentially from J T Daniels, Matt Fink, and Jack Sears who you look at and say should be more legitimately in the running, but. You know, if you want to be fair, all of these guys are learning the offense for the first time to begin with. So, like, I go, right. I go back and forth, and I know that's like a cop out, but I go back and forth on it. Like, it, it is. Can it be both? Can it be both a disservice to, sure, to the the quarterbacks who are well, really in the competition? It, you know what it is? It can be a benefit now, a disservice in the long run. Right? Yes, which is exactly what happened last season. Like last season, they let the the three man competition go until that last week and it felt like okay so if something happens to JT then it's good because Jack Sears obviously got those reps and that was maybe good for him by the time he ended up getting into the game uh in in the season but it felt like you're also wasting an opportunity to get JT Daniels really 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 ready for this job by just naming him right now yeah um you know to talk about Slovis I I was gonna ask you if you thought that it that his performance in relation to everybody else said more about him or more about everybody else my gut is that you're going to tell me that it means more about him um that he's been so impressive um to date is is that right i'm actually gonna go the other way i I think i think well okay first and foremost huge credit to keaton slovis and his high school coach kurt warner because he's come in with a great deal of polish and he really, he like, he looks like he belongs. And that is an absolute credit to him. But I do think it says something about the other quarterbacks that they haven't distinguished themselves. Not one of them. JT Daniels, I think, still looks like the starter, but it's not, he's not as far ahead as I, as I feel like I want him to be. Um, Jack Sears has been exactly who he was last year. Matt Fink has been exactly who he was last year. So I, I think it, 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 I think it does reflect on those three as far as, Maybe I'm asking too much of them, but I wanted to see somebody take a step forward. I wanted to see somebody really just pull ahead and say, no, this is mine. 
And I haven't seen that from other any of those three. And that's basically given Keaton Slovis the opportunity to walk into the room and fit right in because they all are are more or less on the same level. And they shouldn't have allowed themselves to be on the same footing of a of a of an early enrollee, even if he was coached by Kurt Warner. Yeah, for for sure. And we talked about it in, you know, going into camp that it was gonna be interesting for Keaton Slovis because he had no pressure. Sometimes when you have no pressure, yeah. you perform the best. Um sometimes it's the opposite too. But um so you, you didn't really think anything of him because he had he you wouldn't have expected him to factor in the race. Um, there was no pressure on him to perform. If he had a bad spring, shrug. He's a true freshman. He wasn't expected to have a good spring. Like there was, he had nothing to lose, which is a good thing coming into it. But definitely a good thing for him. You know, three weeks into it, we'll see how he can finish the last two weeks. Um, other things to discuss um, at center. Brett Nealon, definitely the man there. Yeah, I, I thought they would switch off between Nealon and Dedich. They haven't, so Nealon is the dude. Uh, Dedich has, of the two, Dedich has had the snapping issues, and Nealon has been pretty consistent at all but one day he's had first-team reps. And basically that, that first-team offensive line, the, the front five, the, the, the top five, have been unchanged from day one. Uh, so that, that tells me something. That tells me that uh, where there might have been a competition – Nealon is still very, very, is still firmly ahead, I think. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I thought that was going to be the battle that was going to go on and rage on throughout the spring into fall camp. Um, maybe that's not the case. Maybe definitely not the case. Um, in terms of running backs, two running back sets are back. That makes me happy. I am a two running back sets person. Love me some split backs. I love me some put some people on the field and make the defense counter it with the exception of I swear to God it wasn't a big deal that Reggie Bush wasn't on the field for fourth and two but (laughs) I will digress yeah uh, Helton talked about this on Saturday the idea that USC can go to a two-back set and the nice thing about this offense is the simplicity of it all they can change out the personnel and still run all the same plays so basically when they don't have the tight ends available or the tight end depth is thin or they want to throw a different look out there they basically just put that, you know, change, go to go to the, the, you know, 20 personnel where you take the tight end off the field and you have a, a running back out there who will be expected to do a little bit of the same of the same job because the tight ends are a little bit like H backs right now um, in, in, in some cases. So uh, you have you can have Vi Malapai and, and Stephen Carr on the field at the same time. And that is a really, really, really promising idea uh, in my head the the only question i have is how often is usc gonna go to that like how often are they gonna lean on that um because it does mean taking a tight end off the field yeah and the other problem is doing wanting to do so many different things that you end up with what sc has been doing the last few years in which they're like oh we want to do this we want to do that we want to do this which is great if you can do all those things and if you can make it impossible to game plan against you because you can do all those things fantastic but you need to be good at all those things and SC wasn't I'm going to give Graham Harrell the benefit of the doubt here because he hasn't run a bad defense or sorry a bad offense uh, in his career yet Um, and I don't think this is going to be a terrible offense uh, going forward we that may be different but we will see we will see how it goes come the fall and the other big thing that as we transition here into the standouts 
someone who you know you wrote about it on Renatory.com, Connor Murphy playing defensive tackle um, and defensive end on that defensive line. Someone who I think a lot of people wrote off. Um, fair or not, people wrote him off. And here he is. He's still he's still here, and he's still at USC, and he could be a valuable weapon for the Trojans this fall. Yeah, they they like uh, Cl- Clancy Pendergast talked about him being one of the most improved players on the defense. Um, he's he's gotten mixed in with the the first team reps uh, out on the out on the sort of strong side defensive end uh, position, going opposite Christian Rector. They I mean this past week they've had him playing defensive tackle. Uh, which I thought was, you know, strange, but they've had some injury sort of concerns with the DTs. So he's working inside. Um, Clancy Pendergast talked about the, uh, the, the basically that they have him playing three different roles for them. You know, on first and second down, he's in one position. On third down in the, in their Greyhound package, he's in another position. And then, um, you know, depending on, on circumstances, they can move him around on that line, which, is interesting because they're they're basically just trying to find matchups for someone like him. He's he's got he's sort of a unique body. He's you know long six six seven. He's he's putting on weight and uh, and 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 getting bigger. And he's gonna be an interesting kind of guy to watch because you always looked at through three years we've looked at him and gone. USC isn't getting out of this player what they should be getting out of him and. You know, you always look and hope hope that guys can be late bloomers at a certain point, and maybe this is the way that he he finds finds his role, I guess, by playing a bunch of different. Happened roles. for Leon McQuay. Yeah, exactly. And 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 for Leon McQuay, what was what was it that got him that role? It was them figuring out. Well, he we can use him as a nickel, and we can use him yep. as sort of this the, the the rotational safety and and that kind of thing. So wherever you can get on the field, that's kind of Murphy's. Uh, mindset, and I think he's an intriguing enough prospect to to say that, uh, you know, the, the the thing that's always in the back of my mind that that I worry about is, you know, the last two springs we've been looking at Will Abitico and Connor Murphy and going, this is the year that they break through, and it hasn't and happened. Murphy's law happens. Well, yeah, yeah, but I think uh, this has a different feel of it. Come on, I gotta get some credit for that. You, you get a little bit of a little bit of Murphy's Law. You get a little credit for that. Um, but but this, like I said, this feels a little bit different because before it felt like they were trying to shoehorn him and Willabatiku into positions that they weren't necessarily suited for. Where now they're moving him into a position and positions that they're trying to get something very specific. Like for instance, Clancy Pendergast talked about having him inside in those. Um, in that uh, sort of third down package because they want to get him matched up with a guard because he's tall and it's, you know, tough for, for a guard to, to deal with him in that. So they're like, they're looking for very specific matchups. And I think that's a positive sign, I guess that they're, that they're trying to find those little advantages where they can. I I'm all for putting players in position to succeed. So if it works out for him, more power to the coaching staff to be able to do it. It's just a matter of doing it. And I feel right. like that's the thing I just keep saying over and over again. But until this team proves that they can do it, um, there is going to be some skepticism here. Um, let's finish this thing out in terms of talking about spring camp by just going rapid fire. Five standouts. Give me like five seconds on each of why they're a standout to you. Vi. Vi is my guy. Because you like him. You love him and he's great <laughs> he, and he's the best running back of all time. I'm very biased. And he's going to win the Heisman. I'm very, he's not going to win the Heisman, but I'm very biased. He had a great week of practice in week three uh, with the full pads and live tackling. He looks exactly like I've been saying he's looking. I was not making it up in my head. He's a, just a solid all-around runner 
and USC's best all-around uh, running back. You're at like 25 seconds. Okay. Okay, sorry. Uh, Ke- Keaton Slovis. Ke- Ke- Keaton Slovis uh, is not falling away. He's back from injury and looking solid. Jacob Lichtenstein. Lichtenstein. I, I really like the way he's developing. I think he continues to, to make moves forward, and, and he had a couple sacks on Saturday and looked pretty good. Christian Rector. Christian Rector on Tuesday was absolutely unblockable. He needs to be like that every day, but when he's on, shoof, unblockable. It is interesting to me, Christian Rector's career the last two years, because he has gone like... He has had those games where it's like God mode. He's right? either an All American or you totally forget he's on the field. Like there is no in between. Yeah, like it's it's incredible. Like I think of the game at Utah last year. Yeah, he was in the backfield on every single play. Yes, he didn't make every play. He missed about two or three huge tackles that were very costly for USC. But he had like four tackles for loss in the first half. Yeah, and I mean he the year before that he was a midseason All American. Philippian yeah. reporter Gustin. So like, yeah, no, the dude, the dude has the, the, but that's uh, Clancy Pendergast talked about this week that they are keeping, they, they're going to give him the benefit of the investment of keeping him at that defensive end position, letting him learn very specifically how to go up against the left tackle and let him perfect that and, and move along from there. And I think that's going to benefit him. Yeah. You, you would think, you would definitely think last one, some guy that, I'm, I don't think anyone was expecting to stand out. Somebody by the name of Michael Pittman. I'm like, who's this guy? Michael Pittman. Come on. <laughs> I, I, you, I, I do. I, I try to do a sort of standouts from from each week of practice on RainerShow.com, and every week I could pick. I could just take my pick of which receiver: Tyler Vaughn, Amon Ross, St. Brown, Devin Williams, Michael Pittman. They've all been standouts for the across all of spring camp. But I think this past week, Michael Pittman really showed what he can do. Not just as a as a deep threat. He's a, he's a threat. Um, for jump balls, he's a threat. Fades in the end zone, he's a threat. He's also becoming just unstoppable on the slants that USC is running in this offense. Uh, I think he's just a, a stud, and if he stays healthy, he's going to have a hell of a season. Yeah, but by the way, I'm redoing our list of greatest USC wide receivers of all time. I'm beefing it up to 15, and it's going to drop this week on Renatory.com, so keep your eyes peeled. Um, I added Juju Smith-Schuster because we we had put it out like three years ago, so it's needed updating. Juju needed to be on there, obviously. But where do you think Michael Pittman's going to finish when it's all said and done? Is he going to be a top 10 receiver of all time at USA? I don't does know. He have the, does he have that ability? I think, well, sorry, he has the ability. I think that that's yeah. clear. Does he have the realistic opportunity to get there? I honestly think that the answer is no, because there's so many different receivers. I don't know if he'd be able to truly be dominant enough to get in the top 10. And that's not yeah. a mark on him. It's just like a knock on the situation he's in because SC is going to have like four guys with 50 catches rather than one guy with 100. Yeah, I, I think that'll play against him this season. Like he'd have to have a monster like epic historic kind of season because there are too many USC's history with wide receiver there are too many wide receivers who have had epic monster seasons like right to to, to get him in there so not a knock on his talent but at this stage like he's got one year to to really be an absolute like Mike Williams level monster and expecting that of him like he could do it but in this offense uh Tyler Vaughn's is going to want to be a monster too Amon Ross St. Brown is going to want to be there's any offense that could do it this is the offense to do it in just not with all four of of those guys yeah it's not with all of those guys uh with them being as deep as they are at the at the top end of the depth chart obviously 
they need more bodies to missing Brew McCoy and Puka Nakua, like definitely hurts and, and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. But anyways, let's get to the mailbag. We got a bunch of questions. We'll get up to that up next. All right, Alicia, before we get to the mailbag, I totally forgot something we didn't talk about in the news segment. I want to throw in here. Um, the new controversy around the name of the Colosseum. I think we need to talk about this for like two minutes. Uh, yeah, I, I totally forgot about that. Jeez. Um, okay, is it is it is it new controversy or is it the same complaints that people had? They're not the same complaints. There were there was an, an article written um in the L.A. Times. There's an op-ed written in the L.A. Times by Janice Hahn in the L.A. Times on March 25th titled Don't Change the Name of the Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. Uh, and then there was an Associated Press story, which came out, uh, which was also published in the LA Times on March 28th, uh, titled to some, renaming the LA Memorial Coliseum is an insult. Uh, and it's about the word memorial and the building being a memorial to veterans and those lost in the war. Um and the idea of SC being greedy and you know capitalizing on the name of the building and it goes against what it's the building's supposed to stand for, being a memorial and whatnot. Go read Janison's piece at the LA Times. But here's my thoughts. Number one, I'm all for supporting uh, those who lost their lives in the war. We are incredibly fortunate to have people um, volunteer now to, to fight for our freedoms. Um, and then back in the times of war, who didn't have that opportunity and had to, because of drafts, go into these wars and fight for our freedom as a country, I'm all for supporting that. I'm all for honoring all that stuff, everything. I do think it's a little odd that this criticism didn't come out a year ago. Yes. When all these things, when SC sold the naming rights. Um, I feel like if it would have come out at the time, I think things could have been handled differently. I think that, you know, the the name of the the Coliseum, which is going to be the United Airlines Memorial Coliseum, could have been changed differently or whatnot. And the other other thought I have, Memorial is still in the name. Yeah. And also, we've all decided that no one's going to call it the United Airlines Memorial Coliseum with the exception of, like, Ticketmaster. And the exception of the PA announcer. And yeah. the exception of, you know, Joe Buck when he's calling a Rams game. Like, nobody is going to call it that. So I, if, if SC wants to make $69 million um, for a name uh, uh, to, to, from United Airlines for what ends up being nothing, I have no problem with it. Considering SC has so many problems at hand that are problematic, like like the sexual assault case, the, the admission scandal with bribery, like all these things that have happened over the last few years that are, you know, drastically hurting people on campus or being embarrassments to the university. This isn't even registering remotely on my Richter scale. I, I'm I'm at a shrug level with this. And it's it's not about, you know, not wanting to, you know, honor the honor the fallen. I think we should absolutely do that. I think there's so many bigger concerns here. I'm a pragmatist. It's seventy million dollars. Sixty nine million dollars. 
They're, they're, they're restoring the building. They're restoring the, the peristyle. Like, I don't think USC has anything to apologize for making this deal. I don't think United Airlines has anything to apologize for the for wanting to put their name on that building. Um, the idea that it's a war memorial, like, this is the first time anyone has ever mentioned the war memorial nature of the Coliseum in all of my time as being a USC fan. No one's ever talked about it as being like the Coliseum, that war memorial. No, the Coliseum is a stadium. Right. You know, you go to the front, the statues. I don't even know what the statues represent. I think they're Olympics. Maybe that's ignorance of, of, of me, but like you, you have the Olympic torch, you have the Olympic rings, you have the big chunks of, uh, of rubble from the original Coliseum in Rome. It doesn't, th- there's not a big uh, statue out front that, that, that hits you over your head and says this is a war memorial yeah. to the point where I think it's very easy to sit here and say I never thought of the word memorial meaning that in this context. Yeah. Wait, but then we can also sit here and say, well, you knew the the word memorial was there. Like, what did we think it was for? Right, right. But but like I'm just saying, like the these things to me feel like I don't want to use the word irrelevant because it's not irrelevant to to honor you know people who have who have fought and died for this country. But like right. the 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 semantics over you can't have United Airlines in front of Memorial as though that somehow like disgraces the memory of people who fought in World War whatever like that like you're I think you're just basically what what I what I think this is is people don't want it to be the United Airlines they don't want the corporate name on the front and so they've come up with any any excuse and i i do i do like the suggestion that maybe they should just call it the united memorial coliseum and take which is what i thought it would be the there the blackhawks and and the bulls play at the united center in chicago and that's a way and that's a way that you could sort of make it more palatable but like I said, it's sixty nine million dollars. If United Airlines wants to have airlines in the t- on the little thing up at the front, like I'm sorry, it's irrelevant to me that that United Airlines is on that. It's the Coliseum. When I go there on a Saturday, I'm going to the Coliseum. When I talk to my dad about it, I'm going to be talking about the Coliseum. Like all that matters to me is, did they improve the Coliseum? Did they restore the parasol? Yes. Okay, fine. I'm not even going to look at you. Like, where inside the Coliseum do you see the name of the, of, of the stadium? Like, Well, they, they might put something on, like, the 35-yard line. Okay, that's, that's what they do at Husky Stadium. That's fine. Because technically, it's American Airlines Field at Husky Stadium. No one ever says that. No. Ever. Again, these the, are all the Wikipedia corporate page semantics. Of Husky, Husky Stadium literally says Husky Stadium. It, the Wikipedia page isn't even American Airlines Field. So... They could do that, and that was what I was always a proponent of back in the day when this thing was originally making news. Why don't you call it the United Airlines Field at the LA Memorial Coliseum? If I'm United Airlines, yeah, I don't pay sixty nine million for that. For sh- sure, but you might pay forty million. Yeah, and I want. And frankly, I'm a pragmatist here. I want the sixty nine million. Like, it's a nice number. Nice. It, it is definitely a, a nice number. I just, but- I'm just all about. If you're gonna have a gripe about something. Be honest about what you're griping about. Don't tell me that this is because of the troops. You don't like the name. You don't like the corporate. It's unpalatable to have the like. Say it that way, and I will take you more seriously. Like I'm just rolling my eyes at this. At this, like you said, a year ago. Like it, you wait a year now to bring this up. Like no. Yeah, th- that's what it is for me. Like th- this should have happened. Th- these concerns should have been aired at the time, and I think that they would have come to. Um, 
you know, some sort of compromise at the time, it would have been great for everybody. Because now if they make a change, how many millions of dollars is that going to change, yeah. going to cost? Think of all the printing costs. Think of all the materials. The signage. It, it's a lot. It's a lot. But yeah. Anyways, let's get into the mailbag. You've got mail. All right. Let's start with an email from John. Michael and Alicia, I love the podcast. Hopefully my question makes it on in time. I have read Keaton Slovis making quite the impression in practice this spring. What are the odds that Harold shocks the world and names him the starter in the fall? Just curious. Keep up the great work. John from Azusa. Thanks for the email, John. Uh, I'd like to say that there's a chance, like dumb and dumber, like you're saying there's a chance. So you're telling me there's a chance. Yeah. Yeah! <laughs> I'd like to say I, I, I still am firmly in the camp that JT Daniels is the starter. I... They're, they're having this competition. I don't think it's rigged or anything like that. I think they're giving them all equal footing because they want to develop them all this, this spring. But I still will be surprised if anyone but JT Daniels wins it, including Keaton Slovis, who I have been impressed by. We're putting percentages on it. What, what, what are you putting? 90% JT. 90? Okay. 90% JT. Um, I'll go 4%. Fink, 3%, uh, Slovis, and 3% Sears. Wow. Is that, does that okay. add up to 100? I don't know. It does. It, it, it does. Okay. Unlike uh, a game of Family Feud, it actually does. Um, yeah, that's that's crazy. That's, I mean, I, I don't necessarily disagree, um, but when you put it that way, yeah. Uh, let's go to a tweet from King Campy, who says, Does the chaos that surrounded the presidential search... And the scholarship scandal affect SC's season this year, or is it just another only at SC moment and the team shrugs it off? I don't think the team gives a damn who the who the president is, and I don't think the team cares about who Olivia Jade is. If anything, they'd laugh about it. I think regular students, absolutely, those things would affect. Uh, if you're a, if you're a football player, you have so much on your plate. I don't see how you would be caught up in who the president is. Well, and these football players have dealt with how many different scandals and and chaoses and circuses around USC. Like, I, I I think that the idea that they would let this one get to them, I I don't I I right. th- they've they've dealt with too many others, and I don't think five and seven last year was because circus or anything like that around USC. I just think. You know, there were football reasons for all of that. So, yeah, I don't I don't think that that's going to impact the season. Yeah. Now, if, if football was more involved um, and was involved in a prod- problematic way, like to a the coach point where, or something like that got caught up in this, like, yeah, th- then I think that potentially it could be a distraction or it could be it could disrupt things. But the way it is now, I don't see I don't see it. I, I really don't. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Charlie Baker Boyd. Uh, who says, well, at UNC, the new president, Carol Fult, uh, came up with the whole NCAA can't punish us because we don't consider our our athlete no-show classes to be academic fraud defense. How do we feel about that? Are we excited to have a president that will support championship programs? All right, so it's my understanding that Carol Fult was not the mastermind of that strategy um, and that she had to be basically put a, pulled along with it um there were there was some criticism of her that you know that that maybe she was she was a little bit passive and let 
other power brokers at UNC run the show when it came to that, and she just sort of rubber-stamped it. At least that's my understanding, uh, just some reading some of the coverage from UNC and from from the sort of local papers. Uh, so I guess, I guess the answer to this question is, like, if she had been the mastermind, would I have been okay with that? Absolutely. It was smart what UNC did, as as distasteful as as that is. You know, I I would rather have a smart, athletic. I mean, a president who knows who's savvy about the way things work and can navigate the the landscape well. Like I wouldn't I wouldn't view that as a bad thing. Um, what where my concern might be is she seemed to be willing to support the sort of athletics programs, but maybe needed somebody else to take charge. And I think the question I have is, who is that somebody who's going to take charge and take command of the athletic, the athletics programs to make sure that they thrive? Because as we've already gotten to at times in this podcast, I don't think that person is Lynn Swan. I would agree. I would tend to agree. Tend to agree with you there. Uh, which goes into the whole, like, Probably should make sweeping changes. Yeah. Probably. A little bit. Uh, let's go back from, to a few tweets from our pal Scourge. How would you grade the changes made to practices this year versus last year? I give it a solid A. I think that they have... I, I actually think this is a case of optimistic, Alicia. Yeah, pretty much. I, I've said this a couple times on the Patreon shows. We did a, 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 a I think we did a Patriot a Robot's Choice covering the way that we would change things at USC in general. We talked to Ryan Abraham about how we would change spring camp specifically, and a lot of the things that I was getting at in those in those uh, podcasts that we did before the spring camp started, a lo- the majority of them, in fact, have been addressed in spring camp. They have emphasized competition. They have done live tackling. They have um, had better better energy. They have spent more time on individual technique. Um, they the referees at practice was something I hadn't even thought of, and I think it's a stroke of genius. I think it's it's absolutely the kind of thing they needed. Uh, so yeah, I I think they've as far as I think if you want to give them a fair and reasonable evaluation, you have to give them all the credit in the world for the changes they made to the spring camp because they're, they're trying something. Yes. There are visible changes, and it's clear they are trying. If it doesn't work out, um, they're not going to get the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. Uh, when when that time comes around, but at least they're trying. I guess is is the big takeaway here. Uh, Scourge's next question: Of the new kids coming in, how many are coming in the fall, and how many will be redshirted? Well, uh, pretty much all the DBs. <laughs> so that's that's quite a few who will who will join up um, with the team. The red shirts, I, I would anticipate the offensive linemen all red shirting. Uh, Gino Canones is already on campus, but like Talini Levi, uh, I, I, I suspect will, will red shirt. Um, on the defensive line, Dejon Benton probably going to red shirt. Um, Ethan Ray, I think, will red the tight end who is coming off injury will probably red shirt. Um, yeah, Jason Rodriguez. Probably redshirt just because I don't see the offensive lineman. The the offensive line is pretty settled. Uh, the, the Stanley Taufuo maybe potentially. Yeah, the the problem really with with this exercise is because Kyle Ford, if he's healthy, and Munir McLean, uh, I I actually don't think either of them will redshirt now because they they just don't have enough wide receiver bodies. So I think they will play. Right. Well, the other thing though is you got to remember the new redshirt rule. They can play four um, games. Which 
yeah, which could factor in here, like somebody like a Keenan Christian. Um, I don't think Keenan Christian is not going to get playing time. I think he'll get an opportunity at running back, but will he get five games worth? Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe you could sort of create two categories of like the traditional red shirts and the new red shirts. The, the, the trouble is that of the guys coming in, which I think so there are 16 that are coming in in the fall, like half of those are DBs. So Jalen Watson, Jaden Williams, Trey Davis, uh, Kaulana Makaula, and Dorian Hewitt. And any one of the, any, you know, half of those will probably redshirt and half of those will probably see a ton of playing time. And I couldn't tell you which ones because who knows? I don't know where half of those guys are going to play. Like, I don't know where if half of them are going to be safeties or corners. Like, there's a lot that we still need to find out from those guys specifically. The one that I'll make a, a guess at is Trey Davis is coming off of a knee injury from high school. So, you know, maybe I'll tag him as a potential redshirt. But then again, Max Williams is out there at spring camp right now running around like he didn't just suffer a big knee injury in high school. So I've, I don't know. Hey, Kyle Schwarber took six months to come back from an ACL and hit 417 in the World Series. Yeah. So. Like ACLs are not the it. same thing as they used to be. No. Um, well, they still are, but they're they're not the same. Well, yeah, they're the same injury, not the same recovery. <laughs> it's, it's it's the same injury, same body part. <laughs> yeah. But um, anyways, uh, Scourge's last question, with only a few players on, uh, a few plays on offense, is there more consistency, efficiency, and identity this season versus the crap last year? Fight on. The answer, yes. I think that's a very simple yes. I think that's the most exciting thing to be um, looking forward to, not only on Saturday at the Spring Showcase, um, even though it's probably going to be really limited and really vanilla what you see on TV, it still will be something. Um, and then come fall, I think that's absolutely what there is to look forward to. And we talked about it last fall. They're in the season. If you had the dead inside approach, you couldn't be let down. I feel, if nothing else, this team this year is going to be Big 12 bad, <laughs> if nothing else. I'm, right? I'm like, on we board with Big 12 it. bad, not going to lie. If, if they're Big 12 bad, if you're not going to be a great team, be enjoyable to watch. Or be exciting. Be, be entertaining a little bit. At least give the people that. Give the people that. I think people will will, will find this season to be more palatable. Um, if nothing else, if, if a lot of people have the mindset that, you know, this is Clay Helton's potentially last season, if he doesn't put up or shut up or any of that kind of stuff, well, be someone entertaining. If nothing else, be entertaining. This offense has the ability to make that true. Yeah. The only question I have about the offense with regards to Graham Harrell is he has spent, uh, his time as an offensive coordinator besting, uh, what, what it was, North Texas is in the, uh, American American Athletic uh, Conference, or I think the the CUSA, the Conference USA, whatever, whatever, a, a group of five conference, and so he's been besting those defenses. The only question I have with Harold and this offense is, I think they're going to do really well in the early going. Once you get into game, you know, three, four, five, will USC become predictable in their simplicity of identity, and and if your right. identity's not good enough to just you know out out outrun everybody to begin with then that could be a hiccup that Graham Harrell may have to adjust to but that's he's gonna have to 
prove himself against Pac-12 defenses. Yeah, like those vaunted Arizona yeah, defenses. Yeah, exactly. Um, for sure. Uh, let's go to an email from John in Oakland. Hi, Alicia and Michael. Thanks for going over last season's results with this team, uh, players and coaches. Uh, that was in our last episode, if you missed that. Uh, I would agree with you, with the exception of one game, the UCLA game. I think the defensive line would be, have been significantly better under Coach K uh, and would have limited their rushing yards. So to put it down as a USC win. Also, they did hold Stanford to 17 points last year. And with better defensive line point and more productivity from the offense, I could see them winning this game too. I think 8-4 and four with the additional possible win over Stanford to be 9-3. and three. So my new question is this. What do you think would have been the overall results on the team if JT had stayed in high school and only now was joining this team in the spring? Assume USC would have had the same losing record. Number one, would Clay Helton have had the same end-of-year fire under his seat or would fans have been more likely to cut him some slack and understand the team was without a proven quarterback? Or number two, would there have been enough pressure to force Helton to make the big changes on his coaching staff the way that he did and move uh, for a new offensive philosophy to the modified air raid that we're seeing this spring? Find on John in Oakland. I want to answer the second one first. Uh, we kind of touched on this before. If SC goes eight and four or nine and three, let's just say they go seven and five or eight and four. They just beat Cal. They beat ASU. The the two easiest games to flip last year. Uh, we're talking about a, you're fixing a bad snap and a 92 yard punt return. You take out those two things, which 99% of the time do not happen anyways, right? You fix those two plays. I don't think they're making those changes. Period. Especially if things went right to where they beat Stanford or UCLA and went nine and three, they're not making those changes. Yeah, I agree. And I, I guess the only question would be uh, where would T. Martin be as far as pursuit of other coaching opportunities and and all that kind of stuff? Um, it's it's so hard though because, like, I think fans would still be unhappy in the sense that if you flip those two games, Cal and, and ASU. The performances don't change, so the, the the that that feeling of dissatisfaction in performance is still carrying over. So maybe that results in some changes. Like I, the 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 problem I've had though is that Helton for a long you know twenty seventeen Helton was able to look at that season and say, well scoreboard. And if he was able to again in twenty eighteen say, well look scoreboard, like we just need to tighten up, then he could convince himself of a lot of things and maybe not have the same kind of self-reflection that they seem to have had um, after this season. But you'd like to think that they still would have. Like, if Clay Helton has any potential of being a good head coach, like like living up to what he needs to live up to to be successful at USC, then he needed to have come out of that 2018 season no matter what and said, this isn't working. Yes. Uh, there, there should have been... I can understand not making the changes after 2017. I know a lot of people wanted changes after 2017, but I can understand after an 11 and three season, you feeling the comfort to to stay the course. I I get it. Like you you went to two straight, um, New Year's Six bowls. I I said that right that time. I I, I never say that right. Um, and you won a conference in a Rose Bowl. Like I can understand not wanting to change everything. Even if there were flaws present, can understand it. But at five and seven, you have to. Uh, at seven and five, you should have, anyways. If they go seven and five, but I could. But we've seen that Helton's not the one. If he wasn't going to see it after getting, 
you know, house by Ohio State the way that they did, then what makes you think he would have necessarily done it at eight and four? Yeah, no, that's so. a that's a very good, very good question. As as for the JT Daniels question, he has a very, very good question. And I think he gets at a little bit of the th- of the question where USC probably starts Matt Fink. And the there, there's probably more hope going into this year because fans could look at it and say, the savior's coming. JT's on his way. And that would have been the story of the of, of this offseason. Instead of what I'm what I'm interested by is a lot of the commentary that, that we're getting on Rainatro.com, a lot of the comments we get on Twitter and the like, is people who have flat out written off JT Daniels uh after this past season's performance uh across the season. So a lot of the negativity comes from the idea that people don't trust JT to be what he was supposed to be. And if you take that baggage away, then you're back to the feel good. Oh my gosh, this, this phenom. Yeah. It would be interesting if, if JT Daniels was Keaton Slovis and he won the job, but performed the same way, it would be fascinating to see how it is because I think people would have given him more rope. Yeah. Like, I think that, you know, so many people are, are super all about Jack Sears and I, I, I want to temper those expectations because we saw Jack Steers in one game with a game plan that was different than JT Daniels. We didn't get to see Jack Steers have a bad game. And I'm not saying he surely would have. but Oh, he surely like, would have, he, though. <laughs> J- Jack Steers would have given you six amazing performances that make you think he's a Heisman winner and six really tough four interception performances. I guarantee you that. Fair enough. But... But it's a small sample right. size, and you can look at one game and be like, oh, well, what if, right? And at the same point, JT has such high expectations that I think it absolutely skews how we look at him. Because not only was he disappointing last year, but when he he's disappointing when you say, well, he's a five-star quarterback. And look at Trevor Lawrence, and look at Jake Fromm, and you know those two guys took their teams to national title games in their first season as five-star freshmen. Like... And here's JT, and he's just throwing up 50-50 balls. And whether or not that's fair, that's the conclusion you come to um, because of his hype. And so, I think it would have been I think it would have been a lot different. And I would have been more likely to give USC the benefit of the doubt with all the well, we have a young team or a young team with a young quarterback. If it would have been Matt Fink, then then JT Daniels because of the hype that JT Daniels had. Fair or not, so I know I'm guilty of that too. Um, anyway, so we got a bunch of more questions. So we're gonna take another quick break, and we'll be right back to finish off the mailbag and the episode. You've got mail. All right, Alicia. Let's go to a question from Anthony on Twitter, who says. Who's your pick to take the first run play for the Trojans this season? Oh, you already know my answer. Yeah, you're, you're going to say Stephen Carr, which I would probably agree my, with. My guy, Vi. Whatever. Moving on, let's go to our pal Trent Goodrich, a contributor to RainOfTroy.com, who says, Do you think the lack of secondary depth for practice is making the offense slash quarterbacks look better than it slash they actually is slash are? And who are the players that benefit the most when the team tackles either side of the ball? 
Question mark. Uh, this is this is the age old question. It's the chicken and egg of every spring camp is the success of one side of, of any position is a zero sum game. So if your defensive line looks really good, that might be because your offensive line is not good. If, if your passing offense looks amazing, if your wide receivers are killing it. It could be just that they're that your secondary is being exposed. I think this year it's a little bit more clear. This secondary doesn't have a chance. Like this secondary does not have a chance. There's basically Isaac Taylor Stewart is the only guy out there that ever has a chance, and he's going up against Michael Pittman. So in a lot of ways, he doesn't have a chance either because Michael Pittman is a genuinely great receiver. Um, so. I want to say that, you know, I think I think that the offense is definitely benefiting from not having to deal with really talented uh, secondary guys who can play in those live tackle situations like Greg Johnson and Isaiah Palmao and Talano Hafanga before he got injured. Like they were not able to play there. So they were swinging in walk ins and uh, sorry, walk ons and the, the walk ons are doing what they can. They're trying but you can tell like that they're walk-ons for a reason. So you can't say that doesn't ben- benefit the offense. I guess the next question to pose is would they would this offense still be looking really good even if that was a fully stocked secondary? And I'm inclined to think that the wide receivers at least would continue to look as good as they are because we know how good they are. Yeah, I I'm anxious to see what the secondary looks like. Um Come the fall, because I think that's going to be a big telling thing for USC going into this season. We know the offense is going to improve strictly based on schematics. We know the the receivers are incredibly talented, um, and they should help out the quarterbacks, especially in this scheme. But what is the the secondary going to going to do? Um, are you know they're they're inexperienced? Are they going to be able to overcome that? I don't know. Is health going to help when when Talanoa is healthy and all that stuff? So, I, I I don't know. We're, we're going to have to find out. I think it's definitely the biggest question of the offseason for USC on defense is that secondary. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Brandon Genos who says, Do you think all the rotation for situations is going to hinder the defense when the opponent goes fast, limiting the opportunities to substitute? The, the good thing is, is that when an opponent goes fast, they're not necessarily going to be... substituting either so if you get the package that you have lined up for their personnel out there um and and you have a more simplified defense so you're you're not necessarily complicating things you're you're going simple on simple because any any offense that's going up tempo in those situations is by its very nature simple to a point so um yeah i don't think i don't think that's necessarily going to be a problem especially so since they get to now practice against an up-tempo, simple, you know, offense that the air raid that, that Harold is throwing at them. Yeah, it's a really good way of putting it. Um, you're not always going to get your guys out there in the exact situation that you want them to be in, um, but it's it's a numbers game. You're going to want to be in those situations more often than not, and you're going to want those packages to be able to come through for you more often than not and, and have those personnel groupings um, work more often than not. I know I keep saying that. But moving on, let's go to a tweet from Sean in beautiful Austin, Texas, who says, who will be the breakout freshman? We talked about this before spring, and we both said Jude Wolf. How does that look now? Well, he's injured, unfortunately. He hasn't practiced uh, for, for a few. I, mean, I think he 
has been out since week two, I think. Um, so that's unfortunate because he looked like he was going to get some playing time. I'm, I'm, I kind of, I want to lean now towards Drake Jackson. Um, he just, when Clancy Pendergast is comparing you to Leonard Williams, I am just going to, I'm just going to follow his lead. Yeah. He's definitely got the most hype this spring uh, of the, the early enrollees. So I don't think it's a bad a bad pick by any means. He's probably the, the, the go-to guy. And he was SC's highest rated player in the entire class this year. So that would be someone who you'd probably want to keep an eye on uh, for USC, especially on defense. Uh, let's go to Sean's second part of his tweet to us. Not a question, but I just want to let you know, I'm getting married on Saturday. Fight on. Uh, dude, congrats. Congratulations, man. Yeah, yeah, big old congrats. Uh, hope you guys have a, a wonderful uh, wedding day in the first place. Like that's always a stressful, stressful thing to think about, but also a wonderful marriage. I, I'm I'm really really happy for for Sean and and his uh, wife to be. Yeah, we've met him. Yes, yeah, they're, they're wonderful people too. They, they they completely are. So we wish you all the best. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Dave in Orange County. Uh, he sent us a bunch of questions per usual. Uh, first one, how is Carr looking in the spring? Is he back to 100%? I keep hearing how great Step looks, but is Carr leaving the door open for a three-man rotation a la Davis, Rojo, and Ware? And if it's a three-man rotation, do we have the confidence that Golden Graham will handle the rotation well? Um, Carr looks Carr looks f- fine. Um, there are moments where I, I, I watch him run and I go, oh, there's Carr back. Carr is, Carr is the dude again. And then there are moments where he just sort of has that little hesitation and I'm, I'm just not quite sure if he's the dude back yet. Um, I think that Marquis Step as a runner, Clay Helton actually explained it really, really well on Saturday, I think. The idea that Marquis Step is a great runner, but to be a successful running back, particularly in this offense, you can't be just a runner. Like we know he's a really good uh, guy with the with the ball in his hand, but he needs to be able to catch the ball reliably. He needs to be able to pass block reliably, and until he puts those two facets of the game together, there's going to be a reason to keep him on the sideline. Um, this was the 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 thing that Rojo had to deal with. Rojo, yeah, yeah. that that Rojo's running talent was never in question, but in order to get the full playing time that he that 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 made turn him into the great running back that he became, uh, he needed to have the all around game, uh, you know, sorted. So that's the thing about Stephen Carr. He has an all-around game. Vi Malapai has an all-around game. So I don't... Mike Jinx wants a, a single a sort of featured back, and I just... I don't know how that's going to work. I don't think it's... I, I, I can't imagine a USC offense where Stephen Carr is the only running back that's on the field. Um, The two-back set maybe helps that a little bit, but... I, I think you're at least looking at a two-man rotation, and Step is the wild card in there. Yeah, I, I th- those guys are going to get their opportunity, uh, whether it be through a rotation or somebody gets hurt. And someone always, that always gets happens. hurt. Someone always gets hurt, yeah, at, at running back. Um, it's inevitable, unfortunately. Uh, let's go to Dave's next question. What is the better position group, wide receiver with Vaughns, Pittman, St. Brown, and Williams, or running back with Carr, Bay, and Step? Uh, Dave, I have seen zero of spring practice because I haven't been there. 
but I am going to bet the house that it's wide receivers. It is. Cool. Moving on. Uh, Dave says, which of the new position group coaches has impressed the most so far? I can, can, can I guess for, for this one? Yeah. Too? I'm going to guess Greg Burns. Well, Greg Burns is who I see the most. <laughs> well, well, yeah, but like he also impressed in terms of like his recruiting ability yeah. to to be able to see the deficiency that oh shoot, there's no bodies, so I'm just gonna throw everything I have and and sp- spray those recruiting points everywhere and see what what'll come of it. Yeah, no, I think he's been he's had an impressive debut. Also, he uh, like. So here's the thing is the interactions that we get with the coaches is from what we can observe on the field and then also when we get them in a scrum and get to talk to them. And I think all three, um, Burns, Jinxon, and Chad Kauhaha, were all very impressive in their scrums. I think these are very personable guys. They have really uh, good personalities. They're, they're, they're all very articulate and all very engaging uh, in, in a way that's a little bit I'm, and I'm not trying to get crazy here, but a little bit reminds me of Dylan McCullough in the sense that you stand in front of him and you're like, oh no, they, 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 they're saying that, saying what they need to say and they, they sort of have down what the, what, what the idea of their position and what it is they're doing. So I've been impressed with all of them that way. Um, Greg Burns has been very hands on with the corners and I think that's with the defensive backs and I think that's really, really positive. Um, Mike Jinx, the only time I've seen him has been doing the pass blocking drills. And the best part of that was him losing his losing his face at Marquis step because he let a man through and almost the dude almost took out his leg and almost ended up putting him in a cast. So that was uh, funny. But I haven't really gotten to see Chad Kahaha coach up close. So I can just speak to what he is as, as an interview. And he's really, really, really good as an interview. So. Yeah, Greg Burns is probably the default, just because I've actually seen Greg Burns coach hands-on every day. Fair enough. Uh, I'm really anxious to see how those coaches handle fall. Um, in terms of how do their rotations work, how does uh, how do their scrums change uh, when things go wrong, when things go good, how how do, how do, how do those things... Because I think you learn a lot about a coach, right? Like, because in spring, it's so easy to sit here and say all the good things that are about a coach because you're going to only really see the good things. It's how do they respond to adversity um, that really tells you what you got. And you'll learn a lot about Dylan McCullough that way. Uh, and you're going to have to learn a lot about these guys. You don't want much adversity, but if you if you do have it, you want to be able to see that they can get you through that and, and get your players through it as well. Uh, let's go to the last question. What is going to be the most common method to attack us next season? Pick on a lack of secondary or try to duplicate UCLA's attack running up the middle and straight at John Houston. Uh, it's interesting that Dave bring, brings that up, the UCLA thing, because I think that the, the emailer, uh, John, earlier got on to a good point about that UCLA game in that... Um, the idea that this this year this year's squad will be able to deal with that running attack a little bit better, and because SC just couldn't set an edge. Well, and and also SC lost Cam Smith in that game and put Ruben Peters in, and he was out of his depth, and they didn't have Pali A Naoteote on the field, and that was my 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 biggest criticism of Clancy Pendergast ever has been letting that game go without Pali A Naoteote on the field, so. 
Um, yeah, I, I think that the the running defense in general, I, I don't think this defense will be quite as vulnerable to that, particularly because they're going to a bigger defensive front, which will help them in that sense. The linebackers that they'll have out there between John Houston and Ian Ateote and Jordan Iacefa, I think are, are assuming they're healthy, are going to be a little bit better equipped to, to, to put up with that than what happened against UCLA. So yeah, I think the obvious thing will be to, to attack that secondary because there's just so many unproven guys in there. So many unproven guys in, in that secondary that um, they're going to, people are going to try and target them. And that's the, the, the big question that uh, Clancy Pendergast is going to have to, and, and the coaches are going to have to answer getting those guys ready real quick. And, and you have to also think like, yeah, they have some talented safeties that we're all pretty confident in, but Talano Hufanga and Isaiah Pulamau are not getting the benefit, the full benefit of this spring to develop as well. So they're going to have to get ready in a hurry once fall camp comes around, if they can stay healthy in the first place. So yeah, lots of questions in the secondary, and if there's a weak spot, it's definitely where I feel like it is, just for sheer uncertainty. Yeah, I think that's a good way of uh, of putting it. Um, let's wrap this thing up. Since You mentioned the UCLA game there. Uh, Dave did. I want to read a tweet from Corey Masizek, who covers the New Jersey Devils for the Athletic. Uh, the Devils are playing the Rangers on Monday night, and he says, Devils and Rangers fans in the upper deck have joined together to chant, we both suck. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> Should that have been what USC and UCLA were, were do, chanting? Do, do you think there's any possibility that if SC and UCLA meet again, and both teams are on their way to a losing record that both teams fans would ever join together for a chant. Doesn't have to be that chant, but ever joins together for a chant period. No, any, any possibility that ever happens. No. What would that chant be? I don't know. I, I, I don't even know. Like, uh, I, 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 the old, I here's a chant that I, uh, uh, in some, in like some, ref, you suck. If, no, in, it, ref, you suck. I could, could be good. The only one no, that I could think in of, in some context, what would be a ref thing that they would both hate. No, that, that that's why for. I wouldn't say that that one would happen. The, the only chant I can think of that in some context I could see USC and UCLA fans coming together to do is a solid USA. Like, I don't know what it would be, what the context of that would be for, like, what would incite that, but like something non-sports related <laughs> would bring people together. Like, like it's a, it's announced in the middle of, of the thing that, you know, they they recaptured Osama and they killed him again. Yeah, or something. something like that. Yeah. And then everyone joins together for USA. Yeah. I could yeah. see it. It happened with the Mets and Phillies uh, back in May 1st, 2011. So don't ask why I remember that. That's yeah, very random piece of knowledge. Yeah. Fun fact, Sunday Night Baseball, yeah. Anyways, uh, that's going to wrap up this episode. Thanks for listening, as always. Again, Patreon is where you can go for all of our bonus content. Alicia's practice car cast. Listen to her breakdown of every single practice. Patreon.com slash Red of Troy's where you can subscribe and get all of our bonus episodes for five fifty five. Per month, for ten bucks, you can subscribe and get access to our Slack channel. Where you can talk with us at any time of the day, and uh, we'll chat about USC football, about literally anything. You can ask questions about baseball or what have you. Even though baseball season's already off to a terrible start for me, uh, that's, that's all I know. 
Um, but yeah, we can talk about anything. Uh, Patreon.com slash Troy is where you can subscribe. You can send your email questions. You can send advertising inquiries or whatnot to our email address, randomtroy at fansided.com. Phone number 213-373-1872. Alicia, give us that final word. The final word is Merca, as in USA chance and America. It's good. Uh, you doing a little bit of a George Bush thing? Merca. What's your best impersonation? I don't have any impersonations. No, I don't do any. I I am not someone uh, capable I, of impersonating. I know my top three. Solid top three. What they are. I'm not saying that they are solid, but I'm saying my top three is definitely my three best. I'm not saying that they're good independently. But Jack Buck 3... Jim Rome too, Mickey Mouse. Your one. Jim Rome is really good. Alicia, when you're talking about Keaton Slovis, now we got to USC as a three-star recruit. I understand their ability to want to give playing time to JT Daniels, five-star guy <laughs> on a modern day, but it is ridiculous, stupendous. To give him that opportunity over anyone else. So why not give the three-star guy, Keaton Slovis, a chance? What say you, clones? <laughs> it's, it's, like, it's genuinely good. I make fun of a lot of your impressions, but that one is legitimately, legitimately good. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's pretty good there, but I will say... Mickey Mouse is a little bit better. <laughs> the problem I have oh, the, the <laughs> with your Mickey Mouse is that it's a little less versatile. <laughs> what do you mean? I can talk about football. <laughs> you want to do a whole podcast in Mickey Mouse? Oh, I could. That <laughs> should have been our April Fool's joke. Just I surely the, could. <laughs> the whole time you doing impressions. I could. I tell you. <laughs> I was walking goofy today and oh boy, I'll tell you. <laughs> He's a goofy. Oh, Lord. Anyways, we'll wrap it up there. We'll catch you guys on the flip side. See you next week. See ya. Yeah. See ya. See ya. This is Mickey Mouse, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> Don't do it when you need to cough, I tell you. No. Struggle.